You're listening to KXOB, Ocean Beach, where Constancy's the spice of life. Welcome to Beach Cop Detectives, a Terriers podcast. Episode 5, Manifest Destiny. I'm Randy Lander of the TV Dudes. With me today is Jeff Jones, a fellow TV aficionado. Hi, Randy. Nice to be here. I think you watch about, if not more, TV than I do. I watch a lot of TV. Yes. And how did you get on Terrace? Because a lot of people I've had on are people I put on Terrace, but I know you watched Terrace before me, right? Oh, yeah. I watched it when it, when it aired. Oh, yeah. Um, and uh, I, got, I got there through Donald Oak, actually. I watched the show Life. With uh, Damian Lewis, yeah, yeah, it was, uh, and Donald Logue was on that. I liked him on that. I didn't know he was on that. Yeah, he was on there for, I don't believe the entire run, but it was only three seasons, and I think he was on there for the second and third. He played uh, Damian Lewis as captain. I liked him a lot in that. Uh, I saw the promo for Terriers, which we all know was horrible. Yeah, we've covered, we've talked about the promos. I <laughs> uh, saw that he was on it, so it uh, it's what brought me to the show. Well, it was funny because I was talking with uh, Nate Bliss on one of my earlier episodes, and he had the same thing. It was Donald Logue is the guy who brought people to the show. Yeah. I guess Donald Logue was sort of the big star that they had in this show. And he wasn't a big star, but he was certainly biggest of the, stars the biggest had. of the star they had. Yeah. Okay, so we're talking this week about uh, Manifest Destiny, which is a, a notable episode for several reasons. One is it's the follow-up to Fuster Cluck. Mm. It is a big, it's probably their big two-parter. Like everything else so far has been fairly episodic. Yeah. But this was where the serial elements started to come through a little bit more. Also, this is the episode that was directed by Ryan Johnson, yeah. who, uh, for those who don't know, did Brick, Looper, Brothers Bloom, directing a little movie right now called Star Wars Episode Eight. He also did three amazing episodes of Breaking Bad. Yes. So the oh. fact that he was involved with Terriers, I think, speaks to the, the pedigree this show has. I think definitely. And, you know, Brick had already been out for a while when that, and, and he, that was well-respected right. in the indie community. Yeah. So, you know, it's not like uh, this guy wasn't known yeah, I'd be curious to ask him what drew him to Terriers or how that yeah. other relationships because so he did this one episode. Yeah, yeah. And that's actually pretty common. I've noticed as I'm going through Terriers, there are a lot of one and done directors. Mm. A lot of there was not a thing we usually see on TV right now where a director does half a season or a full season, or there's three or four directors that rotate out. This was very much sort of the old hired gun style mm-hmm. of directing where they get whoever in. Yeah, and it'd be interesting to know, you know, speculation being what it is. Uh, whether if there would have been a second season of Terriers if we would have seen another Ryan Johnson episode. Yeah, because Ryan Johnson came back every season after to do Breaking, Breaking Bad. Bad yeah. So I, I have to imagine, because this episode is so informed by him, and it so has a, a style that you immediately It know. feels like a Ryan. It feels like yeah. it, you see Brick in it, and you yes. certainly see what uh, what what came from it in, uh, in Breaking Bad, I think. So this episode uh, is written by Ted Griffin and the two staff writers, Leslie Headland and John Worley, Leslie Head- Headland is given the specific credit on this one, so she may have been the forefront. You know, it feels like the ending of a of a of a plot line. Yeah, you know, it feels like it, but yes. it obviously isn't. No, in fact, From, we get that tease at the end of the episode that is very much, oh, we're not done with this yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and not only that, but you meet some of the big players for the first time in this. Episode. Yeah, absolutely. Well, this starts right where Fuster Cluck left off. Mm-hmm. Like we start, we left off Fuster Cluck with Hank and Britt being grabbed by Gustafson, taken down to the station. And Steph looking at the dead body of Lindis in, in in the bathtub. Yep. And so we pick up there at the station. Yeah. And she's looking at the body in that weird alien head head tick way that she's <laughs> yeah. got. Uh, I love her. Uh, oh, she's great. She's so so good. And uh, it's interesting that they chose you know uh, the real sister. life you know, yeah. brother and sister to uh, to do this because you can certainly feel the chemistry there. The, oh, absolutely. The, yeah. the familiarity of uh, of, the, of the two people. Playing the two characters. What I love about Karina Logue's performance in this episode, though, is that 
she's starting to get back on her meds. Mm -hmm. And while she's still playing the sort of off-kilter character she was in the last episode, we see her start to become a little more lucid throughout. And it's really subtle, and it's really well done. Just like She's a little bit more plugged into reality. Yeah. You can start also to see how how really really smart she is yes I, I think you know the the scene toward the end when you know she's taking apart all the stuff in their house and putting mm-hmm. it back together again and everyone seems uh at least gretchen's fiance seems amazed that she can yeah finds out that she was a double major a double major at mit and she does that calm confusion really well yeah yeah uh, when she's when she's standing over kneeling over the body in the bathtub uh, she's not really, she's not afraid it's a, a corpse. Yeah. She's not concerned. What she is is pragmatic. So what, what it reminds me of is the performance in Terminator 2, of all things, of, uh, of the, the T2, mm-hmm. when he does that sort of look at people and sort of tilts his head. And it's like, it's, it's a robot or an alien looking at humanity and trying right. to figure it out. She's, she's looking at it from the point of view of someone who's so smart and so sort of disconnected yeah. that she doesn't grasp a dead body the same, same way anybody else would. Yeah. She gathers data and then she acts on it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, but we start off with uh, Gustafson once again being thoroughly annoyed with Hank. Yeah, which... and I love watching Gustafson be annoyed with Hank. Yeah. Because you get such a sense of their history and their relationship. Like yeah. Gustafson seems like this good-natured guy who you probably go down to the bar and have a, have a beer with him and he probably makes all the jokes and he's a fun guy to hang out yeah. with. And But when he's with Hank... You get the sense that he's been through so much shit that he's just barely hanging on to civility. You see, in the beginning, in the first episodes, the first few episodes, he seems more hostile to Hank than he is in by the end of this one. Right. And uh, uh, you still see that in the beginning because he's actively hostile. He doesn't like Brett very much. No. And he doesn't trust him. He thinks, you know, there's something funny about, you know, an ex-thief being with his ex-partner. He just assumes, I think, that there are a couple of not-so-good guys doing not-so-good things. Really, that's interesting because actually the, the interpretation I've always had of the way that Gustafson interacts with Brett is that he's almost trying to save him from Hank. Like, he's trying to get this... Like, this kid... Hank is trying to keep him out of trouble, but at the same time, he knows Hank's not good at that, and he's trying to warn Britt, like, look, he's going to let you down. He's going to get you arrested. Something bad is going to yeah. happen to you of your association. I think there's some of that, too. I mean, I, I, I certainly, you certainly see that in a few episodes. Yeah. A couple episodes from now, you certainly see that. But, I mean, I, he doesn't. He obviously doesn't trust him. He doesn't trust either one of them. I don't think he uh, really knows w- what to do with them, you know, yeah. because they just keep getting in his way. Yeah. Well, and that, yeah, that's the thing. He knows that there are involved and he doesn't know how deeply they're involved and he knows Hank's lying to him but he doesn't no. know about what I'm not sure if he really wants to know no, how deeply the, they're involved well that's what he says at the end of the episode when he comes yeah. to the bar yeah you know I don't know what you did today and, and, and frankly I don't want to know but whatever it was I am very very grateful but you, he really doesn't want to know he just knows going back to Brit a little bit when Britt is in here in the opening and he's watching Lindus and her son mm-hmm. in the interrogation room, Michael Raymond James really sells the sort of the guilt that he's feeling. Yeah. And it calls to mind another Sean Ryan show, which is The Shield. Yeah. When Lem starts getting to that point of, you know, he's he knows what's going on a little bit and he's being squeezed by the internal affairs and that sort of that guilt that he's feeling, but he's trying to submerge it. Yeah. And I saw a lot of that. And every time he looks at, Linus's kid. It's. I think it's a kid. Yeah. Because because I think you got to know that he probably didn't have a very good childhood. Right. And so I think that when he sees that kid and he sees the the look in that kid's eyes when you know the worry he has for his father, uh, I think it gets to him. And I think that the, there's a lot of guilt there. So when Gustafson talks to Hank, 
And he gives him this sort of plaintive, like, level with me. Tell me what you know. And to my surprise, Hank did. He starts telling the truth. He told him almost the entire Almost truth. the entire, but he left out something really big. He left out the really <laughs> big part. <laughs> but, he, but he did. He, if, to Hank's credit, he gave him uh, uh, you know, a lot of information. And I love watching Gustafson. Like I said, Gustafson's not dumb. He's a smart detective. Yeah. He figures out where Hank's going, and he's so horrified that they bailed him out. Yeah. Like, why they would do this. Again, I think he really doesn't, I mean, he doesn't understand what's going on here. He doesn't understand. And and, and to be honest, Hank seems to be fixated a lot on the Mickey thing. Gus seems to really have no interest in that. No, Gus, as far as Gustafson is concerned, that's done. That's done. It's over, yeah. Yeah, Hank is, Hank is being, and there's a reason, and we'll find out in later episodes, that he thinks that Hank is just a little paranoid. Yeah. That that is not the way things went down. His friend killed himself, and Hank can't deal with the truth, and Gustafson just has no time for that. I think it's interesting also that as Britt is leaving, Gustafson tries the, he told me everything on him. Mm. He turns and says, he told me what we did. And Britt's not dumb either. He turns to Hank and says, what did you tell him? He's like, I told him what we did. Yeah. Those guys, are, these are always good at following up with on one another like yeah if, if one of them takes one of them takes a lead on a lie the other one can jump right in yeah although when they're in the police car Brit just Brit, Brit, yeah they're way out of sync because yeah. Britt wants to wants to ask questions and yeah there's a cop in the front seat that was actually very weird of Brit. like Brit's clearly rattled a little bit because yeah. he's just seen the kid yeah i think i think that's he's where he's rattled a little bit and so yeah he's he's starting a conversation that he knows he shouldn't be having in that car yeah and i like that hank just kind of shuts him down yep. very quickly a couple times yeah so they get back to Hank's house, uh, wave hello again to Mrs. Newport, <laughs> which, by the way, I think she's the, the either Rosencrantz or the Guildenstern of, of Terriers, because <laughs> she's always out there. She's always out there. On, waving at him. And you know that woman sees everything. Oh, yeah. And, and but, you know, she's, she's what was the name of the, the, the lady in, in Breaking Bad? Oh yeah, the neighbor, the next door neighbor. Yes. That, you know, it's it's uh, it's, that, that's what it reminded me of. That's what it called back to me. There's it's always that, the hapless neighbor, uh, the hapless yes. neighbor. You know, the great scene when he when he goes back to the house, yeah, and then walks out and waves at her, and yeah. and, uh, and she drops the oranges. And we get in the house. Steph has a nice pick, <laughs> and I love the reactions immediately. Both of them are, are kind of freaking out about yeah. it, and she's in that same calm. They don't know what she's done. Yeah, and she says she was taking care of the body. Such a great misdirect, such great work by yeah. Ryan Johnson, especially where they pan out of the toilet, all his clothes are neatly folded up, and yeah. you're like, oh, she chopped up the body. Yeah. And then they go over to the tub, and Linda's body is in the tub. Yeah. And I love, there's just a little thing there where, where they come in, uh, it's almost uh, Keystone Cops. Mm-hmm. They come in, and they almost slide into the door. Yeah. Because they're, they're, they're trying to get there so quickly, and they're so <laughs> worried about what she's done. Uh, and, you know, Steph's smart. She... Took care of the problem. Yeah. Uh, she's also a little crazy because there's a dead body in there and she just says, it was starting to stink. Can we order pizza? Yeah, can we order pizza? One of the funniest <laughs> lines in the episode. Because it's delivered so deadpan, so yeah. matter-of-factly. Because having a dead body in the house and using an ice pick to put, put a bunch of ice in the tub with him, that's just part yep. of her day. Yep. Didn't, didn't phase her at all. That problem's taken care of. Now she's hungry. Now she's hungry. <laughs> <laughs> she also takes the soil report to read before bed. Mm-hmm. Um, which will pay off later. Yep. But again, it's also telling us what what a lot about Steph. Yeah. Where does she choose to go? She chooses to go into the attic. Yeah. When she says she's going to her room, in her room she's yeah. in the attic. Yeah. yeah. I like little details here where they're dressing Linda's, putting him back together for their plan, and his feet have swollen. Yeah, his feet have swollen. And they, they like... It, what, does his feet get bigger? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, ditching the body. This is a classic Terrier's solving problems in shortcut kind of ways. Right. It's smart. 
But at the same time, it is like the cheap, dangerous way to go. Yeah. And, and look how much work effort it took. I mean, they had yeah. to go steal his car. Yes. You're putting yourself you're in danger oh, of yeah. being discovered so sure. much there. Of course, Brit's really good at what he does. Yeah. So... I mean, they weren't in all that much danger, but it sure seems like it. It seems it, it like a roundabout really, way to take care of this problem. It's really tense. You know, they pull back and reveal there's a unit in front of the car, in front of the house. Yeah. And Britt, once again, sets off an alarm deliberately as part mm-hmm. of a plan. That seems to be a thing he does. Yep. I like that basically they're they're putting Linus in the car. And as they're putting him in the car, they're having this big discussion about what they're going to do. And Hank actually starts agreeing with him. He's like, once we're done with this. We got into this thing for all the right reasons, and I don't have any regrets. But Maggie was right. This is too big for us. And Mickey was a good friend. But we got too much at stake. I got Steph. You have Katie. And I say, we do this thing. And then we let sleeping dogs lie and we just walk away from it. Are you okay with that? Yeah. If you are. Which we, of course, know is, is bullshit. It's it's a nice thought, but it just it's not going to happen. I love the little funny bit where he's... Trying to figure out what radio station yeah. listens to. He's like, I'm trying to make it as real as possible. I don't know, smooth jazz. Smooth jazz. What do you what do you what do you listen to when you're running for your life? <laughs> and then there's the call from whoever, which is probably the man in the tan suit. So we don't we haven't mm-hmm. met by name at this point. Right. That's who I assume it is. Me too. But you don't get much clue about yeah. who who it is. It's just a, it's just a voice that yeah. is really unrecognizable. It's not uh, it's not Zeitler. Zeitler, yeah. Here's the interesting thing about that call. It doesn't really pay off in any way. It's mm. just a heightened tension. Yeah. Because they didn't use it to find the body, and it didn't clue them in about Hank and Britt. It was just a kind of a scary moment. Yeah. One thing it did do, though, mm-hmm. which I don't think it was intentional, was it, it convinced the bad guys that uh, he was alive at that moment. That's true. And that's good for Hank and, and Britt. That's actually true, yeah. yeah. Have you noticed that Hank doesn't do a lot of the legwork in general? <laughs> yeah. They make a joke about it here where he... where. Britt asks Hank, he's like, are you ready? And he says, yeah, because I don't have to do anything. Yeah. <laughs> but Britt does, as the younger partner, does seem to wind up doing all the stuff. He has to steal the car. He has to go in and change the alarm code yeah. and be, and smash the alarm last episode. He has to push the car off the road. Like, Britt does a lot of the heavy yeah. lifting and work. Britt's the talent. <laughs> and Hank's the brain. And Hank's, Hank's has the contacts, basically, yes, is what yeah. Hank says. And, you know, Hank understands crime. And, That's true. you know, he's, he's been on the other side of that. And so, but he's got the, where Hank, is handy is is knowing cops yes and also uh something of a lack of morals and feelings about what he's going to do yeah hank will do whatever he needs to do to protect himself and his own yeah hank is definitely an ends justify the means kind of guy yeah absolutely one of the things i like is when the when it is uh i guess scratch asked him later on did you do anything illegal yeah morally (laughs) so there so from there we uh we go to the next part of the cover-up where they go to talk to josephine lindis Mm -hmm. And I like this little scene. Josephine Lindis is only in these two episodes. Yeah. But I think she's, the actress did a great job. And I th- think the character is really well drawn. She's practical, but at the same time, she's very pissed off at what's going on. Yeah. And she wants out of this whole thing. Yeah. And I, I think, I, I, one, one of the things I like, I think there's a real touching moment when Brett reaches over and turns on the, in the, in the, still in the room in the earlier part of the, the episode. When, it, when uh, Gus leaves, the yeah. captain calls him out. Yeah. And Brett reaches over and, and, turns on the sound and hears her comforting the the, yeah. the, the kid and uh, I, I think that was a really good nice scene because it uh, it humanizes them in a way they haven't really been humanizes them yeah before. because we ought let's be honest we don't give a shit about Linda's no and his wife our first experience with her 
is she's uh, manipulative, scheming, because yeah. she's right along with sure. getting them to go steal the money from yeah, the she's, Paul she's State. she's definitely colluding. Yeah, she's, so, she's not an innocent party in this. To a certain extent, she is. I doubt she had anything to do with what was going on. But right, well, she didn't, murder, she didn't murder anybody on no, this. No, she didn't. This is, I think, the last we'll see of her, as she uh-huh. basically tells him, yeah, look, uh, thanks for coming to warn me, but I told the guy in the tan suit all about you guys, so yeah. you're in trouble now. Yeah. And I don't blame her at all. No. They got themselves into this. At which point, there's a quick rush to hide the loved ones. Mm. Uh, Hank goes home to Steph. And has to find a place to keep her, which is not uh, not an easy thing to do with Steph. No. We saw previously that you know Katie was looking after her. Yeah. And uh, Katie well, did all right. I think there's only two choices here. Yeah. Katie or Gretz. It's the only people who know her. Yeah. Obviously, in this town, who, who Hank could trust to take care of her. And for whatever reason, they didn't want they didn't want Katie together with her again. I no. don't know if that was just more pressure or what. But. Yeah, uh, I don't know. And you know, Katie's not in this episode hardly she's, at all. She's in it for like five seconds. Yeah. When Britt rushes her out and she wants to know what's going on, that's mm-hmm. it. That's all we yeah, see. Yeah, it was that interesting. Yeah, I thought that was interesting too because Katie is really she's the fourth lead. Yeah, no and, doubt. And yeah, she's barely in this episode. Yeah. Uh, but there's a lot going on. Yeah. And they did have to introduce Steph, who is essentially the fifth lead. Yeah. So I suppose it's a re- and you know Jason has a big part in this episode too. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of there's a lot of moving parts. I do love Steph's sort of coldness. We keep talking about Steph. This is in a way her episode. This is her coming out party. Yeah. This I think is her best episode when she goes over to Gretchen's place. Her sort of cold, matter of fact method of, of saying things is so hilarious yeah. to me. Her this place is much nicer than Hanks. Yeah. <laughs> but I love Hanks. Line about that too. Yes. Is it people live here or is this just for shooting perfume commercials? <laughs> My favorite thing though is when Hank is trying to quietly tell Gretchen about what to do, you know, how to handle her and all that kind of thing. For for two reasons. One reason is you see a, a softness and sort of the smiles between Gretchen and Hank. Mm. You see the relationship they used yeah. to have. Yeah. You get that glimpse of who they were. We had that glimpse in the flashback previously when we saw the flashback to them buying the house and we saw what they were like. But this is modern Hank and Gretchen, and a little bit shining through of who they were. Yeah. You see those smiles. And you certainly see why Hank loved her, and oh, still yeah. does. Yeah. Uh, because she's she's actually a very nice person. I mean, yeah. she's taking in her ex-husband's sister yeah. to watch well, this well, is, on the spur of the moment. Uh, another know. thing we've discussed a lot in these, in these podcasts is that while we all love Hank, Hank's not the good guy in most of these situations. Yeah. He's the guy who got drunk, screwed things up, yep. screwed things up for his partner, screwed things up for his wife. I mean... There is no doubt that in that divorce, it was Hank's fault. Oh, yeah. We don't know all the details, but we're pretty sure it was Hank's fault. Oh, yeah. I have no doubt that it was Hank's fault. And and plus, Hank still goes to those people when he needs stuff. He still yeah. uses them. He does. Absolutely. And, and uh, you even, know. Even someone that he's been screwing over by messing with his credit cards. Yeah. He takes his help. But the other thing that I loved about this, Steph does not appreciate being talked about when she's in the room. <laughs> and she starts... Rattling off all the things the rules. they shouldn't do. Don't leave her around any sharp objects. Don't let her read any proofs. Never take her to the wild animal park. Never serve her red wine with fish. Blah, 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 blah. We'll be fine. Go. Thank you. You can read Proust. <laughs> Clearly, uh, the, the relationship between he and his sister is very well delineated. It is. Moments. And I really want to know why she couldn't read Proust before. I mean, what did Proust do to her? <laughs> So then we're on to part three of the cover-up, where uh, Hank and Britt are uh, going to go to the hotel, check in as Linda's, yep. and there's a great little performance. Terrors does really well by its small characters. This clerk at the hotel, uh, John Paul Burkhart, he's got 34 credits. He's done lots of sort of like these one small role yeah. on shows, a lot of shows you've heard of, and he's great in this little role. 
Mm-hmm. Where they just they're they're trying to bribe a clerk and he's like fine to go along with it, but he's going to take the bribe. Yeah, he's going to Hank's not getting the twenty back. Yeah, uses a twenty dollar bill to block the ID, which I thought was kind of mm-hmm. fun. My question is: Are they checking into this hotel to have a place to hide out, or are they deliberately trying to put a trail to Lindis? I think they're deliberately trying to uh, point a trail to Lindis because they go in and they just mess up the room. That's true, right? They they throw a you know uh, a pizza box with you know probably a little right. a few pieces of pizza in it, and I think they're just trying to basically. Point those guys to a, to a hotel room. They use this credit card because they know that it's going to throw up flags. They know it's flagged, even though it, yeah. it, it's turned out. Yeah, but that, that doesn't matter because it ran. Yeah, well, they all they cared about is that it was a hit. And they're out there looking at the guys, and I this is when Hank makes another call to Maggie, just like mm-hmm. he made at the beginning, and gets her voicemail again. Yeah. And I don't know about you, when I was watching this the second, third time through, I, I know where Maggie was. Yeah. The first time I was watching, I can't actually remember if I was worried about her. I was thinking something might have happened. I didn't remember. Okay, and uh, and so yeah, it was, I was I was still a little worried about her. I was pretty sure she was in the later part. So yeah, I don't think she was dead. I, I, but I just thought something had happened to her. Because Hank brings it up in the next scene that he sort of you know his paranoid notions about what might have happened to Maggie. Yeah. He was starting to worry about it a little bit. Yeah. While he while they're doing that, the uh, the black SUV which we've been seeing in previous episodes. Mm-hmm. This is a nice sort of reminder of that. We'll get confirmation the next scene again. That's SUV that we saw at the break-in in Fuster Cluck. Yeah. Is, in fact, a man in a tan suit's vehicle. Right. And they watch him break in. I love that Britt basically says, he's good. I know he's good because I'm good and he's better. He's better. Yeah. And that's a great shortcut to show that not only does this guy have sort of, you know, supervision as he's able to see them from through binoculars all the time. Yeah. He has also got some other more... He's obviously got skills. Skills, yeah. So... They follow him, and uh, Hank is doing his usual trick. He goes up, goes into the, oh, I, I think I went to high school with that yeah. guy, and it falls apart immediately because... Falls, because they know, and, and they've obviously already done their research on yeah. him from what probably Miss Linda's told them. I wonder if they were on him before that. Yeah, I kind of wonder, too. Because they did go to the construction site. He did see them. They took pictures of him. Yeah. Yeah, so they knew about it beforehand. Because they couldn't have done all that in just that short time. They had to have been doing those, gathering those pictures. But, so this is when we first meet Ben Zeitland, played by Michael Gaston, who has so many credits. But uh, his newest one is Murder in the First on TNT. But just prior to this, and you'll remember this, I'm sure, he was playing Donald Bloom, who was the wet work expert on Rubicon. Uh And he was creepy and dangerous. And that was what was in my head when he first showed up on Terriers. So he already had that sort of menace. Menace, yeah. Even if the actor hadn't brought it, and he certainly does. It does. He's he's good at it. That he's, menace with a smile yeah. that he's got. He's this very, you know, bombastic, friendly guy who you know has a knife behind his back to mm-hmm. stab you and every time he's making that those nice uh, gestures. Yeah. You. He's one of the guys who never threatens you directly. Yeah. But threats are implied in almost everything he says. Yeah. He lets you pick up on the threats. Yeah. There's nothing to act upon. You can tell that he's a lawyer. Uh-huh. So he's sitting down there with the man in the tan suit, who we finally learned his name, Burke. Yeah. And who we learn is uh, on the same street as Hank. He's a private investigator yeah. and also does security work. Yeah. Which is in no way a code for anything. Yeah. We're given his name now. Throughout the rest of the series, I never call that name up when I see him. No, he's the man in the he's tan suit. He's still the man, tan, man yeah. in the tan suit. It's like the cigarette smoking man in X-Files. Yeah, because again, he's so iconic. Yeah. He's the big heavy. And uh, the way they shoot him, here and always... They shoot him, and I don't know if the actor is that much bigger, but he always, he's taller than Hank. They shoot him from he's, below. He's broader than Hank. They yeah. always shoot him so that Hank looks like he's shrinking yeah. underneath him. Yeah. And that's just, they really give him that presence. Yeah. And watching him watch Hank as Hank is talking to Zeitler, you can tell how much he doesn't like Hank. Mm-hmm. 
there's that menace and that hatred right in there. And I don't know exactly where all that comes from, but he definitely does not like him. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know where that comes from either, because they really haven't had any had any dealings up to that point. Right. But you're right. I mean, there 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 is definitely a hostility there that that yeah. is is palpable. Yeah. I mean, Hank does his best to earn that hostility really yeah, quickly. quickly. Yeah. But at this point, it shouldn't be personal for him. But it no. feels like it is. Yeah. Certainly personal for Hank. Maybe he just picks up on that. Maybe he picks up on Hank's obvious feelings. Toward That's him. actually quite possible. Yeah. So Zeitland lets on that he knows Maggie and that she's just given birth. Yeah. And in that, there's that implied threat mm-hmm. that, you know, you're a lawyer. I know. Yeah, I know who she is. Yeah. She's very talented and she has a new baby. Yeah. And uh, I know all about that. And there, the threat is there. And then he starts showing her the pictures, the pictures of Katie, of Steph, of Gretchen and Jason. I mean, yeah. they, went, they went deep. They went deep. Yeah. And candid shots. Mm-hmm. Very clearly, like they see these people at all hours. And uh, Hank is rattled. You can tell that Hank is mm-hmm. rattled. But he does keep his composure. And Hank does what he always does when he's rattled. He starts smarting off. Yeah. Uh, the uh, congratulations, you can Google and use a digital camera, what do you want? <laughs> yeah. Well, Hank, if nothing else, Hank is good at bluster. Yeah. And uh, but that's kind of his thing. I mean, that's he either gets through by, by you know, playing the kind of innocent goofball yeah. or by just being arrogantly blustery. Right. And sometimes it works and yeah. sometimes it gets him into trouble. Yeah, that's true. Hank doesn't really know when to back down. No. Yeah. And There's no subtlety in yeah. Hank, really. Well, and then down in the lobby, we see a real quick shot of Britt as he watches four big, beefy security guys <laughs> gather on the elevator at yep. that moment of something's going on. Yeah. And he doesn't know exactly what. You know, one thing, I want to call back a thing, and this is a, a weird reference of mine, but Burke, the relationship that Burke has with, with Hank this early on reminds me of Beverly Hills Cop, of all things. The Jonathan Banks, the way Jonathan Banks interacts with Axel Foley. Yeah. From the outset, there's just there's like this personality conflict. They barely know each other. But they know they're on opposite sides of a thing. Yeah. And and Burke is like, just like Jonathan Banks in that movie, he's professional. And Hank is this sloppy amateur. And I yeah. think that's part of what he resents. Yeah, I think you may be right. And I think there's, I think he knows that yeah. eventually it's going to come to me and him. Yeah. You know, that guy and me in a room somewhere. Yeah. That, uh, you know, it's all going to, it's all going to happen. And right. One of us is going to walk out. One of us isn't. And uh, that moment of them being in a room alone to start with happens immediately after. Yeah. What I like about his, his story of the serial mugger trying to rob a kickboxing class is that you get the first human reaction out of Burke. Burke, I don't know if we ever find out if he like used to be a cop or something like, yeah. something like that, but he reacts. He actually sort of just taken aback a little bit mm. and says, kickboxing class. And that's when Hank knows he got him. He yeah. got him enough. He gr- dropped his guard just enough that he can sucker punch him with the elbow. Yeah, because this guy hardly says anything in the entire yeah. series. No. I mean, very rarely does he say that he's usually the silent guy cloaking over everyone else. He's always on guard. He's always lurking. No. And again, to drop his guard for that just brief human moment that Hank uses just to sucker punch him. Yeah. And him watching him with that with that blood dripping out of his nose, you know that it's on. Yeah. Then there's a quick and kind of light scene with Maggie where they go to visit her in the hospital. It's light. It starts off light. It starts off light. Gets yeah. a little dark by the end. Yeah, they've got that that big beaming grin they both yeah. have when they see the baby. It's like yeah. this moment of oh, look how great everything is, and oh, everything's about to go to shit, which is a very common terrier's thing. <laughs> yeah, and I love Maggie. I love everything she's given to do, but I think one of my favorite moments is that bit when she, when she says, "Zeitler knows who I am." Yeah, like that. That is not good news. No, she's she's scared and she's. She's not happy about it, but but she knows that. I think she knows that uh, there's nothing they could have done about it. I mean, yeah. it's not their fault. It's no. just the way things are. And 
but she's that's a, a bad guy to, to have know who you are. She's at least a little pissed at them because she's yelling about them. I told you to drop this. Yeah, that's true. And she knows that Hank could have and didn't because that's Hank. Yeah. We very much feel like things are escalating. They're they're on a bad track at this point. Uh, at which point we go back to Jason and Gretch and see that Steph has taken apart and put together everything. But <laughs> yeah. they're safe enough, I guess, at this point because he's going back to get Steph mm-hmm. and talk to her. And we get the first reveal about the soil study. Right. Which is, Gretchen, and this is a question that I, again, I've watched Terriers quite a few times, but I don't know every answer. Gretchen mentions, when he's talking about the soil sample, Hank says, how do you know this? And she says, it's my job. Yeah, do we, we ever find out? I don't think so. I've, I, I don't think so. And I'm, I, don't, I know we didn't hear up until that point. Yeah. Or I'm fairly sure we didn't hear I'm up to sure that point. I'm that sure point. someone will point it out if, if that's not the case. Yeah. But I do not remember ever hearing what she does. But I thought that was a little tantalizing. It was like, yeah, we know a lot about Gretchen, but I don't know what she does. Yeah. But Jason's an architect, and yeah, he talks we know that. about how if he saw something like this, he'd be shut down. Mm. And we now finally know what we think we know. Yeah. What got Linda's killed? What did he see that got him killed? Right. So now what do they do about it? Yeah. And what do they do? They do what the terrorists always do, which is <laughs> the elaborate plan, which involves rappelling down to the body that they crashed. Again, this seems like a really out-of-the-way way to do this. Well, they yeah. could have just dropped it in the mail to a reporter. To Gustafson, because right. they're giving it to Gustafson. Yeah. But then again, you know, this way they've got the deniability. I mean, because yeah. those those bad guys were watching to see if this report comes out and how right. it comes out. And uh, I guess it's a smart thing to do. It just seems really difficult because you're putting yourself in danger of being spotted, uh, in danger of being – because it's right up there on the highway. Oh, sure, you know? yeah. And – I mean, immediately it's down a ravine, but there, there's a there's broad daylight. I mean, there's just all kinds of ways this could go wrong. But this is pretty typical of the way they oh, operate sure. anyway. And uh, it's it's room for another great uh, terrorist quip. You know what this reminds me of? The time we had to climb down the ravine to the car we crashed with the dead guy inside. Ah! Uh, oh! It smells like your bedroom in here! That was a one-night thing. Quit bragging about it. Another great moment from Brett. The way they talk. Ted Griffin, of course, is you know has that dialogue down. Yeah. And that's a big part of what I like about Terriers. But one of the things I like is that the way they talk is also the way friends would talk when he doesn't always have like a setup punchline, boom, boom, boom. Right. In, previ- in the previous episode, he says, yeah. You know what they say about raccoons, right? Mm-hmm. Don't you? Uh, they're not tidy. <laughs> <laughs> and like that's that's the gag that's the stuff yep. in the gag and in this one it's you know this reminds me of and it just reminds me of what we're doing right now yeah yep. you know it's interesting uh well, let's face it when you really get down to it what is appealing about terriers is that relationship yes there's nothing particularly unusual i mean it's a buddy show we've had buddy shows sure it's a, a private detective show we've had plenty of private detective shows yeah what we haven't had very rarely in tv is a really you know tech sharp writing and 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 great casting and these two guys who obviously have a, a chemistry with each other that you, you just don't find by putting throwing two random actors together that's true and the other thing i think they have is that we don't get guys this hapless. That's rare. I mean, usually with detective shows, you go back to Simon and Simon or any of those. They're good at their jobs. Like they're gonna, they'll get to trouble, but but they end up as episode. They've they've solved the case. Yeah, they're good at their jobs. Hank and Britt are good at their jobs, but they're also kind of hapless. Like they they sort of stumble along into things. Yeah. See, the only thing I can think of that's the same thing is Sundance's recent Happen Leonard. Mm-hmm. Like. Guys, these are unlicensed private detectives. Yeah. They are they are private detectives only because they say they are. Yep. And I think that that's one of the charms of, of the show as well. Yeah. 
I think Happ and Leonard is probably a, a fairly good analogy because these guys have been friends their entire lives. Yeah, it's just there that that quick wit between the two. Yeah, the shared experiences they've had for a lifetime or for years and years and yeah. years. Yeah, now, many years at any rate. Because yeah, yeah they caught him trying yeah, to steal. Yeah, it's not as much with uh, Britt and and Hank, but it's you know it's there. Yeah, that rapport and that's you know we know going in that this is the two actors like became really yeah. good friends. Yeah, and that that shows through. That's really the key to what makes the show. So special and what, what really has to hold a special place in my heart. At least. Yeah, me too. Uh, of course, you see, you know, changes in their relationship, but it just that seems to get better all the time. Yeah. That that uh, that interaction between those two. Yeah. I think every episode uh, it gets stronger. It just uh, th- this thing flows to a, to 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 an end that's that I think is brilliant. Yeah, I agree. Hanks called Gustafson. Or anonymous call to the police <laughs> as the stoned. Yeah, uh, hilarious. Guy. Again, nice little details. And Gustafson, of course, we will see in the bar and in the next scene, didn't buy it for a second. No. He knows full well. One of the things about the confrontations between Hank and Gustafson that I really appreciate is Gustafson calls him out on his bullshit in a way in which Hank doesn't ever act to acknowledge that he's lying. You do know 911 records all of his calls, right? Hmm. It's like half a mile past that mini mart where I bought those stale Oreos once. Well, that was uh, that was a damn good Florence Henderson. Not quite as good as his Tony Randall, but he's he's good. Hank doesn't admit that was him. Yeah, and Gustafson doesn't push him to admit it's him. Gustaf knows it was him. Hank knows that he knows, but they don't make each other say it. Right, because you know that sometime during their partnership when they yeah. were cops. Uh, that Hank Hughes, I mean, did some similar things, yes. you know, to, to get past somebody or Hank's, to get information from somebody. Because this is Hank. Hank's probably been taking shortcuts his entire life. Entire sure. life, yeah. yeah. But I like the sort of seeing Gustafson with them at the bar. And that bar set, by the way, is a great set. We saw it earlier on when they when it was during episode three when it got robbed. Mm-hmm. And I love that little set. And I like seeing Gustafson there with them. It's a good reminder that while he's in an adversarial role for a lot of their time, the, he is at least old friends of Hank. Yeah. He likes these guys. He's pulling for them. He doesn't yeah. want to put them in jail. No, I, I think you're right. I think Gus still has a, a, a soft spot for Hank, or yeah. he wouldn't help him as much right. as he does. He's bitter about how things happen because, I mean, sure. let's face it, it probably put his career in jeopardy as oh, well. Oh, sure, yeah. But he still cares about him. He was, a par- he was his partner, and he saw him go down in flames. Right. I think he wants him to do okay, but he's not going to ever trust him again. Right. So then we get the second sort of denouement, which is uh, about the Montague. Where we see Zeitlin's press conference, and I like the way they play this, where he's given his press conference, putting everything on Lindus, and they cut over the Montague, and we see it being dismantled, and then we cut over to, to Gretchen's place, and see sort of what we think is the nice, tight, you know, nice clean wrap up. Mm-hmm. Everything's been solved, soul samples out there, the bad guys have been shut down, and then as they're leaving, there's a couple big things that happen. Yeah. First thing is uh, another vintage Steph line where Jason says. Come back and visit us anytime. And she says, why? Everything's fixed now. <laughs> that's, that's Steph to a T. I mean, it's everything about that character is is in that yeah. little scene. Gretchen pulls up right right as they're leaving. So they can have that brief scene. Mm. And there's this moment with Gretchen and Hank where Hank tells her, I still love you. Yeah. And Hank, I I think seeing Donald Logue play heartbroken against Gretchen, it breaks my heart every time. Yeah. There's always like, you see every bit of pain. That he's not over her every time he's anywhere near her. Yep, every time. And he just really sells that. And her, I don't know what to do with that. He's like, yeah, me neither. Yeah. 
I like that basically when they're in the car, Steph immediately, she's cold and she's analytical, but she still knows enough to tell her brother she doesn't like the fiance. Yeah. And whether or not that's true, it doesn't matter. But she's, you know, he says, you're a good sister. Well, does she say she, he does, she doesn't like him? She said she he's said, boring. She says he's boring. And she says something about how she liked Hank better. So, yeah. Yeah, there's something about, a definitely implication that Hank was better. But, but you wonder if, if she's just saying that. Yeah. And yeah. that's the thing is, it's one time where I'm like, she's going back on her meds. We've seen in this episode already that she's sort of becoming a little less fuzzy headed. Yeah. And I wonder if we're getting that glimpse of. The person who's a little more practical, a little more able to guard someone else's feelings. And she seems out of it a lot. Yeah. She seems focused on stuff. But she, I think she hears everything. Oh, yeah. And so she must have heard Hank yeah. say to Gretchen, I well, still love you. That's and, a good point. She's, you know, she's, she knows he's vulnerable at yeah. that point. Because, yeah, we know she hears everything. Because we're seeing, we see two times in this episode when she's talking about, the when Hank is talking to Britt about the ice pick. Mm-hmm. And when... He, He's talking about the rules for Gretchen that she's listening the whole time. Yeah. You see her react to it. Yeah. That's not by accident, I'm sure. No, I don't think so. But then we get that last little kick where she talks about how he's not as smart as he thinks he is because he didn't see through this the soil s- sample uh, the same way she did with her double major and big brain. Yeah. And that there's no cancer in the ground, no. which causes Hank to go over to the Montague and they're bringing those boxes, those banker boxes in. And now we don't know what's going yeah. on. Three minutes before the end of this episode, yeah. this feels like the end of a story. Yes. And then in three minutes, it's not the end of the story at See, all. That is a common thing. The last I think, three or four episodes, and Nate Bliss brought this up, I believe, on episode two or three when we were talking about this, that Terriers does this thing where if you're watching the clock, you're like, wait a minute. There's like three minutes left. What's yeah. How could they be doing this? And they'll introduce these big last minute twists. Of, yeah. Oh, we're not done yet. Whether it's. Linda's dying and Gustafson showing up in the previous episode. Mm. There's all these big twists of things happening. And this is another big one. What I like is that the last line of this episode is that Steph asks him, you going to tell anyone what they're really doing here? And he says, no, Steph, the case is closed. It's closed. And we know, we know for a hundred percent that that is not true, that Hank is not able to let these things go. Yeah. And so we fade to credits. Yeah. You hope kind of that he does because you know, that it's just going to cause trouble. Right. Well, you know, it's not going to happen. But you know, Hank is not able to let these things go. He never lets these things go. He didn't go. get the guy who killed his, his friend, Mickey Gosney. No. Nope. He can't let that go. You know, he was so focused on destroying Landis yeah. for a while. And then yeah. and then now that has crumbled around him. Yeah. Landis is dead. Landis That's is dead. Done. Yeah. But he's not the problem. He's yeah. not the guy. And, you know, so what does he do now? You know, yeah. he's not going to just let it go. Right. Well, that seems like a good place to go out and wrap it up this week. I'd like to thank my guest, Jeff Jones, for joining me. All right, so we've got a fake accident, more lying, and a growing conspiracy. Hey, we got fun. Beach Cop Detectives is an independently run podcast co-produced by Randy Lander and Grant Davis from the TV Dudes and part of the Permanent Record Network. Music for this series includes the surf music tracks Happy and Whimsical by Paul Tyann. To hear more of his work, go to soundcloud.com slash Paul Artwork for the show is by Nate Bliss. You can find him at n8bliss-art.tumblr.com. You can like us on Facebook at Beach Cop Detectives and on Twitter at Beach Cop Podcast. You can hear weekly TV commentary by Randy and Grant at thetvdudes.com. Thanks for listening.